Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. This is Advent Week 4. So the time of expectation and waiting draws to a close. The Savior is coming. Do you know it? With all the angels and saints throughout time, we stand, almost craning our necks to see what God has done and will do. With the Virgin Mary, we hear that the wait is over and the power of God is descending from on high. Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee uh, named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High God will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We light these candles with the assurance that a light has come into the darkness. Let us pray. Purify our conscience, almighty God, by your daily visitation, that your son Jesus Christ, at his coming, may find in us a mansion prepared for himself, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, on God, now and forever. Amen. Luke two thirty six through thirty eight. And there was a prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. 
She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The grass withers and the flower fades. All right. Thank you, guys. Uh, good morning. Everybody doing okay? All right. Okay. Good. I'm glad that you're doing okay. It's almost convincing. Um, <clears throat> kiddos, uh, we have Elevate this morning, so first, second grade, and we do have EGC this morning, which EGC, hang on, hang out for just a second. That's third, fourth, and fifth graders. Uh, I, if you can tell me an answer real quick, what is our only hope in life and death? All right. Good job, Christopher. And uh, so they go and learn the New City Catechism, which remember that because we're going to hit that a little bit later this morning. Um, we're continuing on in our series in Advent where we're looking just at some of the stories at the beginning of Luke. And uh, last week, uh, well, for the last two weeks, Jeremy and Joel both shared uh, Christmas stories. So I, I didn't have one to share, but then I thought, well, they're both doing that, so I, I, I better do that. Um, and mine is not good. It's not good. Um, I don't look for presents anymore early uh, because of, of, of the sins of, of me in, in my mere 12-year-old state. Um, I could always find my Christmas presents early. I always could. This is confession, hopefully my parents knew, uh, but they definitely found out in, in a Christmas in 1987 when uh, a brand new... Uh, when I found in the trunk of my mom's car a newly released game for the N Nintendo Entertainment System called Double Dribble. It was the first live action NBA lifelike stick figure video game. <laughs> and I, saw, I happened to see it while I, I happened to be looking in the trunk of my mom's car, surely for something else. And, and not only did I find it, but I was so excited. Um, too excited to wait. And so I, I took the game. I managed to get it out of the box and play it. And then get it back into the box, back into the trunk of my mom's car. Seamlessly. Um, eventually, after a week or so of pulling off maybe the heist of the century, uh, I broke down. I remember standing at the edge of the hallway. My mom was laying in her bedroom, and I was standing. I, I had a clear path. And the heavy conviction of the Holy Spirit hit me so hard, and I walked into my mom's room, game in hand, held it up, and I said, do you, you remember this, Mom? Oh. <laughs> you don't, you're making, you don't, re this was like one of the most impactful moments of my life. <laughs> okay, this actually flows well with the rest of the sermon, uh, out of nowhere. 
I broke down and confessed. I walked in and I said, I've been playing this game for about a week or so, and I'm sorry. And uh, if you want to return it and not get me anything, I totally understand. And as I recall, uh, you were a bit shocked at some of my hidden talents that I was able to do that. Um, you were also a little upset. Uh, but eventually, on Christmas morning, I, I still got the game double dribble. It is a Christmas miracle. Right? Um, now, we didn't celebrate Advent back then, uh, so the, I didn't have a good concept of the importance of waiting. <laughs> That's my excuse. And I'm, in just, I'm incredibly impatient. I am incredibly impatient. Um, I was the kid at Putt-Putt that never stayed with his family. To, like, I would go first, sink the ball in the hole, and get, like, be at the next hole. Like, come on, come on. Um, that was me as a kid. I was incredibly impatient. Um, here's the thing. One of the most dominant themes in all of Scripture that we just don't talk about very much is waiting. Wait. Um, to wait and remember is like 90% of the Bible. I'm making that stat up, but I mean, the, the, like most of the Bible is wait and remember with a few very important action parts in the middle. Um, and as the great theologian Tom Petty once stated, the waiting is the hardest part. It's so hard. Advent is about waiting. It is about waiting. Waiting for the coming Messiah, or as we are in now, waiting for His return. We can't manufacture it. We can't take the reins into our own hands. We can't force it to happen. We are waiting. So Luke, Luke is the, surprise, is the author of the Gospel of Luke. Um, not always the case. Paul writes a lot of books that are not named Paul, but Luke is the author of the Gospel of Luke. And Luke is a historian. And Luke is writing his account kind of as a research project for Theophilus. Um, and, and we don't quite know that what role that Theophilus played, but Luke is writing a research account. And so Luke, when he records things, he is not, he, he is a theologian for sure, but theology is not his primary concern. His primary concern is history. He's showing the historical accounts. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Matthew's written to the Jews, and so he is formulating the story and how it takes place as the Jews would hear it. Uh, Mark is writing to Gentile believers in Rome who are wanting to know, is this Messiah that we're giving up our life for, almost literally, is, is, it, is it worth, is it, is it really him? And so Mark writes his account very quick, very fast-paced, and then slows way down when he, gets to the, the, uh, when he gets into Jerusalem in the last part of Jesus' life. John is written to, anybody know? The Greeks. John's account is written to the Greeks. And so his theology, in the beginning was logos, logic, the thing that held everything together. That was the beginning. But logic, logos, the word, is not an impersonal force. It actually has a name. So that's who John's writing to. Luke is writing a historical account. And so when Luke writes these accounts, he's going to give us history. 
He's going to tell us the stories that are surrounding. He's going to let us know who is in charge. Who is the emperor right now? Who's the emperor? Anybody remember? Caesar Augustus. Great. Yeah, you guys all had it. And then Quirinius was the governor, right? You read this every, every year, maybe, if you sit down and read the, the Luke 2 account. He's giving us the historical setting. Here's what's taking place in history. Um, so we can verify, we can validate these stories. We know when they take place. Early readers knew when, they take, when it was going to take place. Matthew starts with genealogy because that was huge for Jewish people. We need to know where these people came from. Who is their, right? It's like the neighborhood. Who's their dad? Who's their granddad? I, want, I need to know this stuff. The, that was really important for Matthew going through the genealogy of Jesus. Luke starts with all of these stories. He dates us. He gives us who was in charge, when, when was this, what was the setting that was taking place. And Luke introduces us to some of these stories that, are gonna, that help set the stage. He gives us the story of the priest Zechariah, which, which Jeremy talked about a couple weeks ago, and his wife Elizabeth, and their incredibly unlikely, miraculous conception as Elizabeth will give birth to the cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist, at a very old age. He gives us the story of Simeon last week, pronounced, uh, promised by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't taste death until he saw the birth of the Messiah. And then in chapter 2, verses 36 through 38, we have three verses about Anna. She's a prophetess. She's the daughter of the great Phanuel, mentioned this time in Scripture. I don't have any more information about him. His name means face of God. Not a bad name. And then you can kind of step back and, and ask the question, why is Luke writing of all of the events, of all of the stories taking place, of all the stuff happening in the, in the birth story of in the incarnation of God, why does Luke include this story of Anna? And when you, t when you take all that in, these three verses seem unnecessary. I mean, does this, threaten, does this threaten the story of the Messiah at all, if it's here or if it's not here? I, I, don't, I don't think so. And honestly, I don't know why Luke includes this in the story. Um, there is, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I looked hard. There's nothing about Anna the prophetess. There's no, like, you can look and there's no, everybody tells me exactly what Luke tells me. All the other uh, theologians and everybody. This is, this is all we have about her existence. Um, and in all of his historical research, conveying the story surrounding the birth of Jesus, for some reason, this one's there. And I'm not going to try to make more of it than is there, but I, I do think there are some things that we can learn just from Luke kind of panning the room and the glory of God, the light of God shining down on this woman, Anna. So, this morning we're going to look at her ordinary faithful hope. So we're going to start with the first, first, uh, first verse here. And there was a prophetess, Anna, there's a long history of, of uh, women prophets in the story of, uh, uh, in the Israel story. Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then a widow until she was 84. First, Anna was ordinary from all that we know. There was not much 
about her that uh, there's a helpful reminder when you read through Scripture. There are a whole lot of names of people that are not in the Bible. Faithful, God-fearing, God-honoring, loving people, and their words never appear on the page. They never made it in. Um, there's some other ones that do make it in, and maybe they wish, maybe they, wish they hadn't. Um, but there's a whole lot of like very faithful people. There are a lot of days that take place between the events of Scripture, ordinary mundane days where God does extraordinary things and holds the world together that are just not there. The most conservative take from Genesis 1 to Genesis 11, from, from creation uh, until the story of Babel, the most conservative take is about 2,000 years. 11 chapters for 2,000 years of history. The details are going to be a bit sketchy, right? We're going to miss, they're not going to keep everything in there. There's a lot that doesn't happen. But sometimes, again, as the eyes of the authors that, that are writing down Scripture under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sometimes we get to catch a glimpse of the everyday, ordinary, faithful God-fearers and hear their story as well. Again, we don't know much about Anna. Um, she's from the tribe of Asher. Uh, Moses said that Asher should be the favorite son of all of the tribes, so that's cool. Uh, when Joshua doles out the land assignments, Asher gets sweet property. By the Sea of Galilee, they get coastal region, and it's rainy and it's fertile, all right? So that's good. But then Asher becomes one of the lost tribes of Israel. So that doesn't really give us much. That's, she's from the tribe of Asher. Um, she was faithful. Uh, when, we see, when we see the story of Anna, um, we don't have a history of her father. We don't know anything there, but her story is one of tragedy. She was faithful to follow the law of Israel. She remained a virgin until marriage. You may be like, why did Luke include that? Well, honestly, we just got through walking through Deuteronomy, right? What we see in that, and there's probably a whole other sermon that we could talk about with that. This is important in the, in, in the laws of Israel. Um, she was a God-fearer. She understood and, and she held to the law of Israel and remained pure until marriage. Um, something that we can see often in Scripture is, is almost everyone that God uses is, is pretty ordinary, and, and their lives oftentimes are caught up in what seems like mundane stuff when all of a sudden the glory of God shows up. The story of King David. I mean, we can go through any of them. The story of King David, the greatest king in all of Scripture uh, that, that we are told, the, the reign of Jerusalem, the one that we, we want to return back to those glory days, which weren't quite as glory as, they, as we, you know, sometimes memory makes them back to be. Um, king David was the youngest child. He was, it was mundane. He demonstrates remarkable faith uh, and humility early on in his life a man after God's own heart. And yet, God blesses David, David gets power, and David does some 
wicked things, grievous things, sins against God and fellow man with power. But like, he didn't start there. He started with great humility. God doesn't often use the great ones by human standards when he makes himself known. The story of the incarnation is filled with outsiders. It's filled with the lowly. It's filled with the unaccounted for. It's filled with the ones whose names don't ever show up anywhere else. But here, this is who God uses to proclaim his entrance into the world. I, uh, I, I read, this is going to be vague, so just bear with me, but I, read, I remember reading the story of a guy who was an astrophysicist or some kind of fancy scientist that knows more than me. And he was telling his testimony of how he became a Christian. Somebody challenged him to read the Bible, and he read it, and he said, this, this has to be true because it is so mundane. And they're like, the stories here are ridiculous. Nobody would write this down unless it actually happened. Nobody would ever come up with something like this. He came to faith because when he read the Bible, he was like, this is not like the, the Star Wars saga where, you know, somebody just it, it rises up to power at the very last second. It's, it's just mundane. And then all of a sudden, God shows up in the middle of all that. Anna was ordinary, but Anna was also faithful. Uh, in Luke 2, 37, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Um, now, this is, a hard, this is hard for our culture. Anna's faithfulness, fasting and prayer every day, Anna's faithfulness did not earn her a charmed life. We talked about this a lot in Deuteronomy, the difference between a charmed life and a blessed life. A charmed life is that Facebook living, man. You're on the beach every other week, angled just so, so the curves look good and not bad. Picture taken from above, not below. I've learned that. Take the picture from on high. Angle down looks better than angle up, is what I'm told. Right? And things are always great and joyful and happy, and life is good, and everything is wonderful. Uh, and and we, we got the promotion. We got, we got just what we wanted. The charm life is the free from trouble life. Um, and that is not the blessed life. There's nothing that looks like that for the blessed life in Scripture. Anna's life is not charmed. It's not the life that she had. Advent, Advent is not for the life of the charmed. Advent is for the life of the hurting, for the life of the waiting, those who long for the world to be made right. Those who sit in darkness and wait and say, will there be a light to come? Will hope enter into this world? Will all that is wrong someday be made right? Lord, hear our prayer. Anna was married for seven years when her husband died. Now, according to the law, Anna would be free to get remarried by all that we know. Anna would be free to get remarried. It doesn't say anything about Anna's kids. And so Anna, more than likely, Anna did not have kids. And after seven years of marriage, that would have been a thing because in that day, you needed somebody to take care of you. You needed a, you needed 
to, to marry another man puts her within another family unit where she may be taken care of, or she would have at least have the opportunity maybe then to have kids that in her old age, she would have something to go back to, to have a son maybe one day that would receive an inheritance. She had the opportunity to get remarried from everything that we know, um, and that probably would have been a deal for her. Nevertheless, that's not what she did. She went to the temple, she served, she prayed, she fasted. More than likely, she was young when this happened. Women got married a lot younger back then. And then she didn't die until she was 84. So think about this. For potentially the better part of 60 years, she served in the temple, praying and fasting. She probably served alongside some other women whose names are never mentioned. She didn't have the promise that Simeon had. No angel came to her and said, you will not depart from this earth before you see the Savior. She may have heard Simeon talk about that. I, I don't know. She didn't have that promise. She just served. Probably mundane duties. Cleaning, doing laundry, maybe early on making meals for the older women. Uh, that were at the temple. She probably had nursing responsibilities when people came in that were hurt or wounded or sick. Nothing glamorous, but cosmically glorious. And the very hour that Simeon, uh, Simeon, Simeon was blessing Mary and Joseph, Anna walks into the room, happens to walk into the room, and her humble heart is given eyes to see this is the hope of Israel. This is the one we've waited for. This is the one who was to come. The Bible is filled with normal, everyday people serving faithfully. And then what we see so often in the mundaneness and even the darkness of everyday life, somehow the glory of God just shows up. We're in the final week of Advent. Advent is, again, for the humble, for the lowly, for the hurting, the outsider. Advent is those, for those who wait, but we, when we wait, um, waiting is not something we do well. And again, I don't think our world helps out much with that. I remember when I was a kid, like we were forced to have th like three minute long commercials and you just had to wait it out. And now, even like the five seconds till you can skip the ads on YouTube, I'm like, come on! I'm not subscribing. Three, two, and then you click too early in the other page. Get right? Um, I, it's, we don't wait well. And Advent is about waiting, and it's about longing. And it's not just like sitting around looking out the window type of waiting. It's about serving faithfully, trusting that God is faithful, and one day He will come again. One day He will make all things right, including you and me. I don't want to try to turn Anna into something she's not. I don't want to, like, write a book about the prayer of Anna, the blessing of Anna, and let's make her into a hero that's really, I mean, she's just got a few verses. But there's something, I think, beautiful and glorious about that, encouraging in her simple faithfulness and how God, through Luke, just brings light to something that otherwise would have been passed by. I, 
in the world that we're in. I'll own this, but I'm going to imagine it's probably more than just me. I can get overwhelmed and feel a tremendous amount of anxiety by our culture's maybe worship of efficiency, productivity, results. Anybody else? All right. And, I, and let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Adults, you think it's bad, and, and it is. Your kids are being crushed by it. Your kids are being crushed by it. We are constantly having to prove. So here's the deal. We're a radically individualistic culture now. And both sides of the political aisle own this, right? We are radically individualistic, which leads it, leaves it to ourselves. We have to somehow prove that we matter, that we're important, that what we've done or who we are or whatever that looks like, we are constantly having to prove to everybody and to ourselves that we matter, that our labor matters that our existence matters, and we cry into the void of the universe waiting for this, waiting for a like or a heart or something, someone to respond that tells us we matter. We have been told over and over again that we are our, our own. And anything that we do, it has to be quantified, it has to be measurable to actually count. And for us to even remotely feel okay about our existence, it has to be seen and somebody has to say, hey, that was good and that was worthwhile. We have to have tangible, measurable results. Does anybody, like, does anybody feel that? Okay. Even in the Christian world, we've, oh my goodness, we've, you're not validated unless you have X amount of 100 baptisms or this amount of this or this building or this budget or everything we do has to be quantifiable. We constantly crave validation that we matter. We are in search of something to tell us we're important. We join groups, identifications, got to outdo the other person. We, we go after pleasure or recognition, something. We look around at the world. We must be validated. And this is the part I, I love Brene Brown. All right? Hear me. Hear me. I love Brene Brown. This is the part where I disagree with her in a big way. Her grand conclusion. Her, deep breath. Her grand conclusion is she says you have to be able to look at yourself and say, I'm enough. We are not designed to look at ourselves and say to ourselves, I'm enough. You can't do it. You cannot do it. And we actually have, we actually have diseases that we have named for people that can look at themselves and say, I'm enough. Right? You can't do it. You have to hear from something outside of you. The hope of Advent is that Christ has come and said, I'm enough. So you don't have to. You're not going to measure up, so don't do it. So let me ask you a question, all right? This is not a righteousness question. Um, this is just, this is just a, we're just going to do a, a thought exercise, and, you, and don't answer. Don't answer out loud. Just think about it, all right? I have, I'm, wanting, I'm beginning to wonder if I'm going to ever have any pastor friends left that are not also um, like dietary consultants and, and fitness trainers because um, all my pastor friends now seem to be fitness trainers as well. 
um, and I am not. Those of you who work out, okay, if there were no external results that took place, no weight loss, no toning, inside, not like feel good, but like you'd be healthy, but like no results on the outside. Would you still work out? I'm not like, the, the external results are important. Just a mental exercise. In our day, how do we quantify engaging our neighbor in a conversation and asking how they're doing? How do we measure the global impact of being kind to the checkout person? or stopping to hold the door for someone, or, or like staying on the phone and being patient with customer service. I'm, I'm going to, all right. Last weekend we went to Dallas. I'm just going to tell a brief story. We went to Dallas, my brother-in-law's wedding. Ten-hour drive, lots of driving down there, basically driving for 24 hours in a three-day period. We get home, we, we rented a car, um, and uh, we got home, and my wife went uh, west to Wentzville to pick up the dog, and my son and I were going to go east toward the airport to return the rental car. Uh, my son's car, okay, our car that my son uses died. Uh, it's a leaf. It's electric. So when an electric car dies, it just stops, and you've got to drift. And so he's on Highway 70, and he calls me. He's like, Dad, the car died again. And he's drifting over to the edge of Highway 70 between 270 and Rock Road at at. Oh, it was dark out, so anytime after 3.30 on Sunday afternoon, <laughs> right? And he's stuck over on the side, of the side of the road. I go get him. We try it again. We do a couple things. There's not really much you can do. I get him. We pull up off on Rock Road, and I call the emergency roadside assistant. Now, this whole weekend was filled with little things. I don't, have you ever felt like little things where you're like, okay, God, this is obviously divine that you're testing my patience here because stuff like this doesn't just happen? And you know, like when somebody's like, maybe God's trying to teach you something. And you're like, I, I know. That's not debatable. Like, why? This was one of those weekends. And our kids were amazing. They were great. So I call the guy. And he's got to find our location. And I get it. I get it. He's not from in town. He's got to find our location. We're eastbound, Highway 70, between, between 270 and Rock Road. Like, the only flashers and Nissan Leaf in that whole thing. So, well, okay, are there any signs around that you can see? And it just kept going. So eventually I had to drive all the way back around, go all the way down the rock road, come back, pull up to the thing. You know, can you, can you ping me now? Ping me? Well, I'm still showing you at the gas station. We are at mile marker 233.6. Are there signs? Do you see a floor decor sign right there? I do. But that's not on the highway. And we're going eastbound. And there's just, there, and I was like, there is literally no more information that I can give you than mile marker 233.6. And I think we're pretty exclusive here. <laughs> well, do you, and, and so then he puts me on, he's like, okay, I think I finally got you located. Then he puts me on hold to try to find a tow truck. Just wait till Monday. That's my advice to you. I was on hold for two hours. 
And I, and let me just tell you, this is after like 30 minutes of him trying to figure out where I am. And I, I'm already, and by that time we returned the, th the car, Allison came all the way back to the airport to get us and we got home and everything. And this, I didn't even think about this till afterwards. His name, I kid you not, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, think about, I didn't even, like afterwards that hit me, I was like, you really are just out to get me. So next Sunday with the incarnation, I'm done with research on this stuff. Next Sunday, the incarnation is going to be all about the good life and how God will solve all of our problems, and maybe that will produce a better week. It, this, what metric can we use to determine the results of just everyday ongoing faithfulness, of waiting? What's a metric to, to talk about the results of staying in a faithful in a hard marriage? How do you measure cosmically those who are single who are trying to stay faithful to Jesus and connected? Where, where are the results for that? Or to tell somebody that you see them and you care about them and are grateful for their lives simply as an encouragement. When you give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, when, you, when do you see the results of these things? More than just it makes me feel good because if it makes you feel good, then that's more about you than it is about actually doing these things. Getting up in the morning and praying the Psalms even when you don't feel like it. Resisting sinful, self-denying lies of the evil one. Fighting to trust God. Asking God to be present throughout your day. Especially when it's mundane. How do we quantify that? What's made ultimately, made, what's made ultimately known through the story of Anna the prophet is that despite what we may ever be aware of, uh, and despite what results we may never see, we, those who are in Christ, are not given over to the curses of futility in our labor. But God looks on the heart of the humble servant and sees them and knows them, and here in this amazing story sheds heaven light, heaven's light on Anna as a proclaimer of the arrival of the Son of God. Coming up at the very, uh, the, at verse 38, coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Follower of Jesus, what we do in our faithful waiting will not be in vain. And it does not need to serve as our validation. If Christ is our validation, if we are not our own, we are his, if he is the hope of those who do not belong to ourselves but belong body and soul both in life and death to God and to our Savior Jesus Christ, if he is our hope, then we are not left to self-validation and trying to prove our worth, which is a ruthless God. And if you think it's hard to serve Jesus as God, try serving self. Anna just so happens to walk into the room. She probably heard the nunc diminis, the prayer of Simeon, and her heart was moved, and she understood. And she spoke of this child to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. In Advent, we remember we're waiting. Christ has come, but the grand story isn't complete just yet. We're waiting. And we are not called to change the world. This is the glorious news. Jesus changed the world when he walked out of the tomb. 
What we are called to do is to bear witness in word and deed that Christ has been risen from the grave, that God has come in the flesh, that he lived perfectly, died brutally, and rose again on our behalf, and that somehow we have been forgiven and reconciled to the Most High God. And we are called to bear witness to that, that he has come and he will come again. And so we bear witness in our love, in our service, in our devotion, in our praise, in our grace, in our labor, in our resistance to uh, to temptation, in our fight for faithfulness, in our willingness to show up. In the day after day, left foot, right foot, mundaneness of life, we bear witness that Christ has come and one day he will come again. And God does not waste the time that we labor faithfully while waiting. He's at work in all of these things, teaching us, molding us, shaping us, even in the waiting to participate in this glorious new kingdom that one day will be here in full. This week, it's Christmas week, I don't have like a specific practice for you, but just to to bear in mind that we are not there yet, but that anything you do, any kind, encouraging word that you give, any effort you get it to give to get up 10 minutes earlier, any resistance, any like when you blow it and ask for forgiveness, even there, all of this, God is at work. And so my hope this week is that your eyes would be open, that we would remember in our waiting that none of this is in vain. Futility does not have the last word. Futility in the kingdom of God, does not have any word. So I want to close this week reading with, this is my, one of my favorite quotes. Usually I save it for Easter, but I'm going to read it today. I, there's two quotes, N.T. Wright and Russell Moore. This is a Russell Moore quote. That is my favorite quote. Let me read it over you, as, as, uh, and then we'll pray. If the kingdom of God is what Jesus says it is, then that means what matters isn't just what we neatly classify as spiritual. The natural world around us isn't just a temporary environment. It's actually part of our future inheritance in Christ. The underemployed hotel maids we walk past silently in the hallway, they aren't just potential objects of our charity. They are potential queens of the cosmos. Our jobs, whether they might, whatever they might be, aren't accidental. The things we do to serve in our local churches aren't random. God is designing our lives individually and congregationally as internships for the eschaton. We are learning in small and little things how to be put in charge of great things. What you do, whether it's ever recognized by man, what you do matters. And Christ is enough. Let's pray. God, as we enter into the final week of Advent, in our own longings and hurts and wounds and anticipations and impatient, impatience and all of the stuff that, that comes to play in this time of year, I, pr- I pray that in the quiet moments, we will hear your still small voice. I am at work here. I am doing what you cannot see. 
you matter. Because of Jesus, you matter. And what you do matters. And you don't need the rewards of men. But you have in Christ the delight of your heavenly Father. So may you rest and labor and find joy in that. Jesus, meet us in this time. Grow our trust in you and our love for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.